0: Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will look at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. In our last session, Peter had gone to Caesarea at the express command of God and at the request of Cornelius, a Roman centurion who had become a follower of the God of Israel. When Peter began to share with them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, all those who had gathered in the home believed in Jesus as the Son of God, Savior of the world. Suddenly, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them with power and with fire, and, and they began to speak in tongues as evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is known as the Gentile Pentecost. Upon witnessing this joyous outburst of praise and glory, Peter knew and understood that God had just treated Gentile believers in the same way that he had treated Jewish believers. So Peter concluded that it was time to baptize these new believers in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in obedience to the command of Jesus in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And this is what he said. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen. So Peter stayed for a while in Caesarea, teaching these new believers about Jesus, his life, his ministry, and his teachings. But the time came for him to depart and return back to Jerusalem. The greeting he received upon arrival in Jerusalem was not what we would have expected. Let's read from that passage in Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Yes, word had reached the apostles and brethren in Jerusalem, What had happened in Caesarea? That Gentiles had become believers in Jesus Christ, having believed the word of God that had been preached to them. This was an amazing report. However, some of Jewish believers in Jerusalem were troubled by what Peter had done while in Caesarea. Verse 2 describes them as those of the circumcision. These were members of a strong legalistic party in the church. And they were espe- especially zealous for retaining much of the law in the worship and ethics of the church. And when Peter arrived, they confronted Peter not on the fact that he'd gone to the Gentiles, but that he had eaten a meal with the people gathered at the home of of Cornelius, a Gentile. Dr. F. F. Bruce explains why this would have been so offensive to the Jews. He writes, It was the thought of eating with Gentiles in particular that made the idea of entering a Gentile house so objectionable, for Gentile food was, quote, profane and unclean, end quote and it is the thought of eating with gentiles that supplies the link between Peter's vision and what in which the Levitical food restrictions were abrogated and his practical application of that lesson in ignoring the ceremonial objections to entering a gentile house if they'd only studied their old testament scriptures more carefully they would have understood that from the beginning God had chosen the Jews and taught them his word so that they would be his witnesses bringing the message of salvation to the whole world. Here are just a few of the passages that support this. Genesis 12.3 I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Isaiah 49, 6 Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved ones of Israel, I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth." Speaking of Messiah. Again, speaking of Messiah, in Isaiah 60 verses one through three, Arise, shine, for your light is come, and and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness of people, but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and and kings to the brightness of your rising. Zechariah 2.11 Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. And they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And Malachi 1, eleven. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. These are just a few of the passages that I could quote that emphasize the fact that from the beginning it was God's intent to bring the gospel message to the Gentile world. From this vision, and also from what we read of Cornelius' encounter with the angel, it is clear that from the beginning it was God's intent to save Cornelius and all his household. And let me add that whatever God has purposed, this he will accomplish, and no one can stand in his way. As Jesus said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, And so it's interesting to note that Jesus himself, during his earthly ministry, he also had to defend himself against the same kind of charges that were leveled against Peter. We know that many times he was found eating with mm, questionable people, and he had to defend himself for... Letting his grace go out to the needy. One such example is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, and it it reads this way As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened, As Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, it is good that Jesus stopped and talked with Matthew that day. Because Matthew became one of his disciples. And later he was appointed as an apostle of Jesus Christ. In fact, the very first book in the New Testament is the gospel account of Jesus' life that Matthew himself wrote as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Many times we are tempted to judge others from outward appearances or even by our own personal expectations of what a Christian should look like. Now let me say that This kind of spiritual prejudice actually hinders the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit within the Church, and this should not be. With Peter's response, these accusers will find out exactly why they should not have been so quick to judge. Peter gave a thorough account of what had transpired. He began with the fact that while he had been in prayer, Three men came to his house. Peter described in detail what he saw in his vision of the sheet containing four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. We can assume that everything in that sheet were creatures that were expressly forbidden to eat in the law. Because Peter said to the Lord, when the Lord commanded him to eat, kill, and eat, Not so, Lord. For nothing common or uncleanness at any time entered my mouth. But it was the voice of the Lord. And while Peter was in prayer, that he was commanded to eat. And not only that, but the Lord said, What God has cleansed you must not call uncommon. Or unclean. This vision was repeated three times, as Peter points out. Peter continued that when the vision was complete, the three Gentile men knocked at his door, asking him to go with them to Caesarea. Peter knew that they were sent by the Lord for the purpose of telling this godly man about Jesus Christ. In fact, let me read this in Peter's own words. He told his accusers that the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Peter obeyed the command of the Lord. And who can argue with that? So Peter continued with his account of events, and he told his accusers that in going to Caesarea, he included six other fellow Jewish believers in his traveling party. They were there with Peter at Caesarea as eyewitnesses to what would happen, and they were there now in the room with Peter to confirm Peter's testimony, should anyone have any questions. When Peter and his men arrived at the home of Cornelius, Peter asked him what had happened, and Peter tells his accusers exactly what Cornelius had related to him. Acts 11, 13 and 14 and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon whose surname is Peter who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. There are two things here that I want to emphasize. The first is that Cornelius had pe- had told Peter that it was an angel who had appeared to him and commanded him to send for Peter. This is an important detail when talking with these Jewish believers. That God would send an angel to a Gentile for the purpose of obtaining information regarding salvation? Well, that fact helps to confirm the righteousness of Peter's actions. Second, The message that Peter was to tell Cornelius was the message of salvation. This message has has not been entrusted to angels. It is entrusted to mankind, those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Again, I remind us that Jesus commanded us to be his witnesses, witnesses of Jesus, and the proof is in our own story of redemption. I like what J. Vernon McGee has to say about this. He writes, God could have given Cornelius the gospel through that angel if it had pleased him, but it has not pleased him to so propagate the glad tidings. God prefers to reach sinners through redeemed men and women. And this is a very wonderful and serious thing for us to consider. I'm sure of the myriads upon myriads of angels surrounding the throne of God, any one of them would count it a privilege to come down and stand at any crossroad in all the land and proclaim the gospel of the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. But God has passed angels by and has said, I'm going to entrust the message of grace to sinners saved by that grace. How have we responded to that? We to whom this wonderful privilege has been given. Will we rise to our privilege? Are we making known the gospel as we should to a lost world? So here is Cornelius, a God-fearing, earnest man with no knowledge of peace with God, longing to be assured that he is accepted by him. Here is this man sending to Peter to know how he might be saved, and not only he, but his household. In other words, how they might come into the full glad knowledge of forgiveness of sins. Do you have that glad knowledge? The next thing Peter told his accusers was the glorious truth that they not only were these Gentiles saved through the grace of God, but that this salvation was confirmed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, evidenced with the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Let's read it again, verses 15 and 16. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God had come on these Gentile believers just as he had come on the Jewish believers. There was no difference between the two Pentecosts other than that the Jews' experience had come first. These subsequent events paralleled to Pentecost proved to the Jerusalem church that they must accept each new group of converts, the Samaritans, the Gentiles, because God had put his guarantee on them by repeating the sign from the original Pentecost. I like the observation of one commentator. The gift of the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles was a stunning revelation to Peter. It was positive proof that God does not play favorites. This marvelous truth that the Creator is a God who invites all people into a relationship with Him should reveal the great evil of sins like prejudice and racism. Heaven will be filled with individuals from every nation, and tribe, and people, and language. So, drawing to a conclusion of his accurate account of the events that took place in Caesarea. Peter quoted something Jesus himself had said, that John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And having witnessed the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Gentile believers, Peter realized that Jesus' words had a much broader application. So Peter asked them the million-dollar question, for them to consider. If therefore God gave them the same gift as He gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? That was really the bottom line of it all. Who indeed, in His defense, Peter had given them three key pieces of evidence to prove his case. One, the vision from God. Two, the witness of the Spirit. And three, the witness of the word of God as spoken by Jesus himself. You will notice that throughout his entire account, God was the one orchestrating each element of what transpired. Everything that happened was at the direction from God. The angel was commanded to go to Cornelius. The message from God through the angel to Cornelius was to send for Peter. The vision that God gave to Peter and his verbal command to Peter. God reminding Peter of what Jesus had previously said and giving him added insight into what Jesus had been talking about and God sending the Holy Spirit upon these new Gentile believers. So in response to these things, Peter's accusers were silenced. The Bible says that when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. This was a turning point for the early church. Clearly, they had to accept those whom God had chosen, even the Gentiles, and so they did. From this point forward in the book of Acts, we will begin to learn of the spread of the gospel throughout the known world, through the ministry of the apostles. Warren Weersby makes the following observation. From the beginning to end, the conversion of the Gentiles was God's gracious work. He gave them the gift of repentance and the gift of salvation when they believed. In later years, God would use the letters of Paul to explain the one body how believing Jews and believing Gentiles are united in Christ. So let's take a look at what the scripture reveals about this. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, meaning the Jews, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, so, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints Isn't God good? No one is left out. It is promised that whoever comes to him, he will receive and save and pour out his love and power into their lives. As the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you cried out to Jesus? Have you asked him to save you? You can, you know. You can do that right now. Simply pray this prayer. Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. I ask that you come into my life and be my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer based on the promises of God's Word, I can say to you, God has answered your prayer and you are His child. The Bible records a prayer in Ephesians 3 that I would like now to pray for you and for every person listening to this podcast. Yes, it is written. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge Well, if you find these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me. That email address is bibletimewithjane at gmail.com. Again, it's all one word, bibletimewithjane at gmail.com. And so until next time, my friend, May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.